The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy. And joining us in a little bit will be Oregon coach Mark Wazikowski. The Ducks coming off of an impressive 2021 season that saw them contend for the Pac-12 title and host a regional. Uh, so there, there are a lot, lot of interesting things to talk about there in Eugene as we look back at the 2021 season and look ahead to 2022. So an interesting discussion to be had there with Coach Wazikowski. And we're going to get to that here on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're here on the podcast. It is October. Fall ball is in full swing. Uh, we've got we've got a lot to, to hit on here. Not a whole lot of news around college baseball. It was, uh, it was a little quiet over the last week. I think uh, everyone's just kind of focused on on fall ball, and I'm I'm uh, I'm not going to complain about that. It's it's good to have uh, you know those those rhythms back, and and not necessarily more of the the breaking news type of rhythms. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, first of all, let me let me insert here. Uh, I'm recording in a different location than I normally am. Uh, there is a some construction going on in the home where I am. So if you hear a little sawing in the background, it's nothing, nothing too bad. I can't imagine it's going to really infiltrate the podcast, but my apologies to our listeners if you hear the occasional sawing or maybe a hammer or two, staple gun perhaps. Um, although, you know, if that's the, if you're into home renovations, maybe you'll like the, like the ambiance. I don't know about you, Teddy, but sometimes I'll do a radio hit and they're, they're like at a on location and you can hear like BP going on in the background if they're at a baseball game or if they're in a restaurant or something, you can hear like idle chatter. Sometimes it's kind of nice. Maybe Maybe there are some people out there who would appreciate hearing some construction sounds in the background for home renovations. But, uh, but yes, I, I I am with you. It's kind of uh, kind of nice to have a quiet week and be able to focus on, in terms of news anyway, and be able to focus on on fall ball stuff. And it, it's, you know, I, I think about our our friends that are in the, you know, the, the college football media, and you know, they have not been so fortunate lately. Obviously, their season is going, but even before that, they 
they really were in the middle of it with conference realignment and playoff expansion. And I guess in some ways it's a little bit of a blessing to have some, some stuff to talk about. But on the other hand, uh, you do just wish that some of that stuff would stop so you could focus on the on-field stuff. And we've been blessed with a, a week like that. So we'll actually be able to talk a little baseball uh, more, perhaps more so than, than in other episodes this week. And, and that's kind of nice. Before we uh, get to our interview, I did want to mention um, one small bit of news. We talked about last week about the potential realignment with uh, expansion for the American Athletic Conference and said that there are reports were indicating that Colorado State and Air Force were going to leave the Mountain West and join the American. And that is now off. Uh, the Mountain West is going to retain all of its members. And so from a baseball perspective, that means that Air Force is staying in the Mountain West. Colorado State continues not to have baseball. And the Mountain West is now potentially eyeing expansion itself, which uh, would be interesting. There's talk about them looking at some of the Texas schools or maybe making a grab for Wichita State or Gonzaga which would be for basketball purposes, obviously, but from a baseball perspective, were they to uh, grab Wichita, Gonzaga, add that to Fresno, Nevada, and San Diego State? I mean, you're, you're starting, to, starting to build something interesting there. So we will continue to watch this space and see where the American takes it from here. We were pretty critical about those potential moves for a baseball standpoint for the American. Uh, so now we'll... Uh, I, I'll just assume that they they listened to the podcast and, and decided against it, but uh, we'll, we'll see what the American cooks up from here. And yeah, it's the only conclusion I can draw is they were like, well, I guess we can't do that. So, <laughs> you know, and if you're the American, I mean, I understand that from a football standpoint, they would have liked to have had those additions. But if, if you're, you know, an American baseball program, you're probably like a, a little bit just on your own for selfish purposes, breathing a little bit of a, a sigh of relief. And there's been some good reporting on this from you know, former podcast guest, Matt Brown of Extra Points and his podcast partner, Brian Fisher. I heard them talking about this, that, you know, they, they, the Mountain West has has kind of redoubled efforts, as you mentioned, to, you know, maybe make a move of its own. And there was some thought that Air Force and Colorado State were maybe intrigued by moving to the American as a way to kind of make sure they get out before Boise State makes a move. And then the Mountain West becomes a little bit of a dead conference walking. Maybe this means that they've gotten assurances that Boise State is, is going to hang around. So obviously that doesn't involve us. Um, Boise State had a baseball program for, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes there in uh, 2020. We still probably don't talk about that enough as a society, how Boise State <laughs> spent years putting together a baseball program and canceled it at the first sign of trouble. I mean, cut another sport to add baseball. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, cut another sport to add baseball and then the first sign of trouble they cut baseball but anyway i digress so um a lot of movement there that has nothing to do with baseball obviously baseball kind of just gets caught up in this stuff but it would be fascinating if the mountain west is able to make to make some aggressive moves here to add some teams uh because there is a scenario now where we're just kind of assuming the american adds some programs that, that help from a baseball standpoint but i think there is a scenario here where the mountain west adds some teams that that arguably makes it a better baseball conference than what the American is, even as the American will continue to have a program in East Carolina that is an Omaha quality program leading the way. Yeah, uh, interesting times here in uh, the in the realignment stuff. As as always, I there were there are times when I think the Mountain West is like on the verge of really becoming something in baseball, and I 
you know, you could mention a few other programs that I didn't when I was talking about Fresno and San Diego State and Nevada. I mean, UNLV has a lot of potential, hasn't quite tapped into it. Uh, and, you know, Air Force is a rising program. But just they're a little small for baseball. I think they have seven baseball playing members. It's just not quite enough. So if they if they were to add in a couple more and make them quality programs like a Wichita, like a Gonzaga, I've seen Rice mentioned as well. Like if any of these programs were the ones that were added, I, I think that you would really start building something there. But again, I mean, they're looking at it more from a, a basketball perspective or a, in Rice's case, since I don't think men's basketball is really a priority at Rice. It's a TV market perspective uh, more than a, a baseball perspective, but it would be, it would be big on the diamond as well. Joe, can you confirm for me that Rice men's basketball, not really a thing? Not very good. Uh, pretty good facility <laughs> considering. Pretty good facility considering. I saw the Seth Davis tweet that Houston is a college basketball city, and I was like, "Well, that's a that's a statement." Yeah, there's one program there doing a lot of heavy lifting uh, <laughs> for that statement to be true. But yeah, Rice has a pretty good facility, um, basketball wise. Uh, just not a team that really lives up to um, lives up to being there. They had a they had a longtime coach. Uh, probably 10 years ago that he left the job or even more than that name, Willis Wilson, who was kind of one of those, your favorite coaches, favorite coach kind of guys where everyone realized he was doing a really, really good job given the limitations at Rice. And they put some players into, if not into the NBA, into the periphery of the NBA, kind of like a G league 10 day contract kind of guys. So there was a time where they were full, you know, absolutely respectable. Um, and they've kind of struggled to stay at that point in, in recent years. All right. Well, like I always say, um, basically a weekly basis now, we'll keep watching realignment and it'll keep happening and we'll uh, we'll keep talking about it here. So uh, so watch the space and we'll see we'll see where this ride takes us all Uh, for now, though, Joe, let's uh, let's get to our interview with Oregon coach Mark Wazikowski. Again, the Ducks coming off of an impressive season. They went thirty nine and 16, 20 and 10 in the Pac-12, hosted a regional where they lost to LSU in the final, but a big improvement from, you know, where, where the program had been when coach Wazikowski returned to Eugene to where they got last year, unheralded coming into the season, you know, really overlooked um, relative to, to what they were able to accomplish. So an impressive season there in Eugene and really laying some foundation that I think could be, uh, you know, that th- th- they really can build on now going forward. So very interesting time for Ducks baseball. And let's get into, we'll get into that here with Mark Wazikowski in a second. But first, check this out. This week on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Oregon coach Mark Wazikowski. The Ducks, of course, coming off of an impressive 2021 season that saw them host a regional and are now looking ahead to uh, what should be, again, a pretty interesting 2022 season and uh, getting started here uh, this fall. So coach, uh, let's, let's start with, with 2021. That was a special team that you ultimately, you know, were able to, to put together there. At what point did you realize that that was that kind of group that, that could go out and, and challenge for a Pac-12 title? Um, you know, first off, good, good morning guys. Um, yeah, we, we really realized that that could be, uh, an interesting group pretty early on, you know, during the fall, 
it was odd. It was the COVID fall um, and the COVID fall meaning that, you know, we, we weren't allowed to have scrimmages. We weren't allowed to have base runners. We actually threw two throwdown bases uh, almost in the beer gardens down both right and left field territories, you know, when we were running something similar to a scrimmage, it's not, it wasn't even a scrimmage. It wasn't even allowed to be called a scrimmage. So it was really strange. And so when you say, well, you know, when did you figure out that you had a, a chance with this group? Well, I think we figured out this group was going to be pretty good when we were going through all those protocols and they stopped complaining. They stopped caring about all the, their personal opinions or feelings regarding a lot of the hot topics. And at least during their time on the baseball field, they could just focus on baseball and doing whatever we needed to do to play baseball. I thought that's when we made some real progress because now it became about what we were there to do and that's play baseball. Um, and we were able to make at that point, as soon as we felt that happen, um, we were able to make some massive strides towards just getting better as a team, doing basic baseball skills, um, consistently well. And I think that's when we started saying, well, okay, well, these guys, they definitely have the desire and the hunger and there's some ability hanging around and they're starting to get better. And so it started to be kind of glass half full instead of half empty. That's for sure. As the season goes on, then um, you guys challenge for the Pac-12 title, you eventually get named to that short list of, uh, of potential host sites. And then you're selected as uh, as one of those those hosts, which Oregon had not done for several years. What then was the environment like during that regional? It was a very exciting regional, goes down to the end uh, with LSU obviously coming out with the, the wind and unfortunate ending for the Ducks. But what, what was just the experience like and, and what was the environment in the stadium like during that weekend? Great experience, great environment uh, all the way down the home stretch. You know, I think everybody was waiting for the Ducks just to fall apart because it can't be real, right? This team's not supposed to be any good. Uh, they weren't picked very high in the Pac-12 uh, by the coaches and all that kind of stuff. And so I think people were more or less going, well, you know, they might have had a good weekend early on versus a good Santa Barbara team and maybe a couple other really good weekends. But this can't really be true. Um well, as, as we were able to go and string weekends together, one after the next, we saw that it was true. And all the way down towards the, you know, the regional games here at PK Park, we hadn't, you know, Oregon hadn't hosted in some time, um, but was a staple hosting uh, for a period of time before that, too. So it's not like it had never been done. There was a, a young tradition of that being regular and happening on a regular basis. And then it, it took a little bit of a hiatus for a couple of years. Um, the environment when you when you had the postseason games here at PK Park and all the way down the stretch, every one of our games was sold out. That's a little deceiving because we had attendance uh, restrictions uh, due to all the, the pandemic rules or whatever. But all the games were sold out. The interest in Eugene, people rally. This is a baseball city and community. It's a college town, as we all know. And they love great sports. They love, you know, championship level type play. And they will always support the duck teams when they, when they feel and see that. And so all the way down the stretch, um, all the games were sold out. And so, yeah, some of the restrictions were limited capacity uh, all the way through the end of the regionals were limited capacity, but, you know, they kept building and building, opening up more and more capacity and the excitement in the stadium was tremendous, you know, all the way down the coachman area saying, you know, all the SEC games and all the games at Alex box stadium and, 
yet this environment is as loud as anything I can ever remember. And, and, you know, that was something because the people that were there were really excited and enthusiastic to be there and they made their voices heard. Before we, you know, move on to looking ahead at one more question on, on that team last year, I think one guy that college baseball observers who've been following for a while would be interested to hear more about is, is Kenyon Yovan, just such an up and down career he had, you know, you know, two-way guy dealing with injuries, dealing with inconsistency. And then the last couple of years, it really seemed like he blossomed as a hitter under your tutelage. What kind of development did you see from him over the last couple of years that allowed him to put up the kind of numbers he did for you in 2021? Well, Canyon's always been a true competitor. You know, he's, he's on Team USA as a pitcher, uh, and he's their second best guy when he's healthy. Um, he ended up having uh, some injury issues and stuff that kept him from pitching but was so competitive that said, well, I still want to be a great player. And so not only was he at one point in his duck career an All-American as a pitcher, but he was able to do that as a hitter as well. And so tremendous credit to him, his mother, Carrie, his dead Jake. I mean, they're, they're just great people. Kenyon's a tremendous competitor and he had a lot of ability. He had some things he needed to work on in a swing. You know, Jack Martyr, a hitting coach, did a tremendous job with him. You know, Brett Thomas leads our analytics team, which provides information about swing data and metrics to our hitting coach, Martyr, that is able then to put a plan together for a young guy like him or any of the other guys that we have. And, and it, it, it proved to work not only for Kenyon, but several other kids last year. And so we were really excited about the grounds we were able to make up in the player development side of, of the equation. And clearly the recruiting from the recruiting side of it on the national landscape, they've noticed as well because they saw players that weren't necessarily ranked super, super high have career years in our uniform. And we hope that that trend continues in the future years. You, uh, you did lose some players now to, to pro ball in, in the draft. And, and some of them were very key contributors like a, like a Matthews or, or an Alstrom or, or, you know, any number of guys that, that moved on that makes this fall probably a little bit different around the program without some of those returners. What, uh, what are you looking for in terms of competition this fall? And, and just, what are you, what are you hoping to see this fall? Well, you, you hit on the, the issue and the issue is, wow, we, we've lost some really key pieces. You know, a year ago, uh, the, the discussion was, similar in the fact that people were saying, well, you, you know, you don't have any proven, you don't have any proven players that have had success at the Pac-12 level. Well, and so we're used to that discussion, at least for the two years I've been here now, you know, I mean, that, they said it last year and they're saying it this year uh, and that's fine. You know, th that doesn't mean there aren't good players here. They're, they need development. All players need development. But when you lose some key guys, you lose Aaron Zavala, who hits 392, and he's in the finalist for the Golden Spikes Award winner and the, you know, the MVP of our conference, the Pac-12 conference. He's the best hitter in the league last year. You know, the guy has got an on-base percentage of 525, and he walks 50 times on top, top of, uh, you know, the awesome offensive stats that he has. So, yeah, you need to replace a guy like him. You need to replace a guy like, uh, you know, Gabe Matthews, who's just a tremendous career performer here at the University of Oregon at first base, Kenyon Yovan as well. You also have a couple of really key players returning and Tanner Smith, Josh Kasovich, Anthony Hall, amongst others uh, offensively that now we look to kind of add on to their player development and, and grow them into better players than they were even were last year. So uh, the cover's not bare, but there are three significant offensive pieces and a couple of uh, significant pitching pieces that need to re be replaced. And so those jobs are up for grabs this fall. 
you mentioned some of what you you lose there in the lineup, and it, it, it strikes me that it's a lot of your your best power bats, your run producers. Do you anticipate the offense, the lineup being a little bit of a different feel next year? Do you anticipate maybe having score runs in a little bit of a, a different way, or do you think maybe just some of the, the player development pieces can help you know reproduce that production in 2022 just from different guys? Yeah, it's all it's a great question, but it all comes down to player development. I mean. Um, you know, how much better is Anthony Hall going to be this year? You know, he's a 286 guy last year with, you know, his OPS basically hanging around a 800, 830 clip, you know? So, I mean, how much better can Anthony Hall's OPS get to where we can maybe rival the, you know, 1100s that, a that a really big time hitter in our league is going to have for an OPS. So, um, you know, and that goes true towards others as well that we have in our uniform. So, it comes down to player development. You know, our second leading RBI guy is our shortstop last year, Josh Kasovich, who had 50 RBIs for Oregon, and yet he he totally goes unnoticed when it comes to his offense. Uh, Tanner Smith led the you know conference, and he's broken every record for doubles in our program's history. He returns, you know, and so again, same discussion. He's got a close to a 950 OPS last year, you know, how much better can that get? Can he get it into the, you know, thousands, 1100, 1200 even range would be just amazing, but how good of a job can we do in terms of player development with the guys we have um, to where they can uh, fill those gaps with power. And last fall, you know, we, we were, I guess, uh, accused of probably not having any power going into last season either because there was no proven power and yet we were able to, to turn that tide with the work that we do behind the scenes. So we are confident in the work we can uh, do to help young people, but that stuff doesn't come free. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of time in the weight room. And that, that requires a lot of discipline from the coaches and players. You, you're talking about the behind the scenes work and, and the, the way that that feeds into player development. And you know, that's obviously been something you've been quite good at throughout your career, especially now as a head coach at Purdue and at Oregon, you were able to get both of those programs quickly into the NCAA tournament, quick turnarounds there. What, what is it that kind of feeds into that, um, you know, in, in your specific uh, formula or, or model that you've been able to, to put together at, at Purdue and now at Oregon? Well, uh, you know, Purdue, uh, Oregon, you know, and, and I guess going back to even before that at either Florida or when I was at the University of Arizona for 10 years, uh, it's changed. And so I guess the first thing is we needed to adapt. You know, my days back at the University of Arizona, um, you know, it was a lot of old school. Uh, it was a lot of uh, just times have changed now. You know, the way we talk to players is totally different. The way we construct practice plans is totally different. Um, the, the individual time that we have one-on-one -on -one with players is more required now. It's a generation that has come up with a private hitting coach and a travel ball type of a situation versus maybe a Connie Mack or a Legion baseball type of a situation where your high school coaches are the most impactful uh, on a player's development back in the, you know, in the nineties or even early two thousands, that was the case. And now that's totally changed in, in the year, you know, in the 2020s. And so, um, We've had to adapt first and foremost. We've had to change the way we've talked with our players and presented information to our players to where they can understand um, what they need to improve on. And then the biggest thing for me is, 
there still is a little bit of that old school de development issue in the weight room. Um, although a lot of the things they're doing in the weight room have changed over time, there still has to just be that blue collar desire to improve and get better. It's not going to be an easy fix or an easy pill that you can swallow that makes you a great player. You, you really do it, need to invest in a, a life change that starts with probably going to bed earlier and uh, proper nutrition and, and just your basic building blocks to where when you get into the cage in the weight room, the time that you're spending there actually is productive instead of counterproductive because you're not getting enough sleep or eating the right food. We alluded to it, I think, a little bit earlier, but I wanted to circle back on, on the pitching side and, and talk a little bit about your expectations for you and Coach Angier going into the fall when you you replace uh, all three of your weekend guys. Um, and that's obviously a very, very specific challenge for this team. So I'm curious what your expectations are for that competition going into the fall and the kind of things you're looking for from the new guys, from the returners to establish themselves as guys who can prove themselves to go out and be Pac-12 weekend starters. Yeah, you'd like to have all three of your weekend starters return and it would feel, um, you know, warm and cuddly, but even, even that they still have to produce. And so no matter what they've done in the past or what they haven't done in the past, you know, I mean, for example, great example on the flip side of it is Colby Summers returns, you know, and he had 11 saves last year and was the best closer in the Pac-12 conference last year. And he returned for us. So does Andrew Moziello on the back end of that bullpen. Uh, so does RJ Gordon. So does Caleb Sloan, you know, and so does Isaac Aon. So those guys specifically, now they all return uh, in addition to some other names that had limited in innings, but successful innings last year to be able to try to graduate into those vacated spots by some of the other guys. A year ago, uh, Robert Allstrom, the three guys that left, Robert Allstrom, uh, Colin Kafka, and Brett Walker, those three guys didn't really have a reputation of being, you know, big time starting guys that were gonna be proven uh, top of the line, Pac-12 uh, weekend rotation guys. And they just proved that they were, specifically Allstrom, really proved that he was in the running for Pac-12 pitcher of the year last year. With, um, with the kid from Stanford who ultimately ended up winning it um, over Robert. But both those kids were elite. Robert had to prove that he was elite. And again, it just started with the things that I've already talked about on this um, discussion with you guys. And, and it, it really did come to a point where, you know, those three people, uh, in addition to anybody else that we had on our roster last year, we didn't have anybody who did it. We didn't have anybody who experienced all this All-American success and then, you know, for our season in last year where we're hosting regionals and we tie for the most All-Americans out of any program in the entire country, um, you know, if you if you were doing a, uh, this podcast last year at the beginning of the year and I told you, hey, I think we're going to at the end of the year be hosting a regional, be vying for a Pac-12 conference championship this year, and also we're, we're going to have more All-Americans uh, or tied for the most All-Americans as any other program in the country. I think a lot of the media would have just said, wow, that guy's nuts. That guy at Oregon is absolutely nuts. He's, he's not thinking clearly, and there's no basis for making these statements. And they would have been correct. But, um, you know, that did happen. And the reason why it happened is because of the, these young people's determination to turn a program around and into a proven winner. And, and that requires them to make a lot of decisions that are different than maybe what they did in the past to, to yield results. One other thing that's going to be different this year is the Pac-12 is instituting the conference tournament for the first time. What are your thoughts on that and, and kind of where do you see that event growing in, in the next several years? 
Well, I've lived in conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten, where there's conference tournaments, and I've lived in leagues where there's not, right? When my 10 years at Arizona, I'm here. We didn't have a conference tournament, and I lived what that was all about. Same thing with my time at Oregon as an assistant or head coach. So I think this is the bottom line. Um, the last weekend of the year, when the committee's all sitting in a room, they've got their war room, let's call it, with all of the TVs on. Those TVs are onto conference tournaments. The SEC, ACC, Big Ten, all the conference tournaments that are really relevant out there. That's who this conference or the that's who the committee is tuned into in their war room. And when the Pac-12 in the past or Pac-10 had their final week of the year not having a conference tournament, then the committee members would need to search for a feed of some regular conference game that was occurring in our league that may have held some sort of weight or relevance in the discussion that they're having to formulate their field of 64. That's, that's unrealistic. I don't think the committee members are really looking to find feeds of just random Pac-12 regular season conference games to watch. I think they're really invested in the excitement, the energy, the completeness of a conference tournament and the, the, the champion aspect of that. And I think there's just an ease of finding that tournament and putting that on the screen in their war room that is uh, something that, that now we've put value on in our conference. And we're gonna find out if this thing actually yields dividends to where we can get more teams into an NCAA regional environment um, that may, or, may have been on the bubble. And that's the intent of it. I just think it's now made it easier for the Pac-12 to be a feature of the final weekend of the year amongst the other conferences that are all in their conference tournaments. So we will wrap up here with the, the question we ask all of the guests on our podcast, fun little question we, we finish with, and I will, I'll ask it and then I will filibuster for just a second coach to give you a chance to give it some thought. But we ask each guest on this podcast to describe their favorite sandwich. And so some coaches will describe a sandwich they make at home and how they, they you know, the toppings they put on it, the meat, the cheese, the condiments, all of that stuff. Some people describe a sandwich they get from a local place that they go to periodically. So you can go any direction you would like, uh, but please, Mark Waskowski, describe your favorite sandwich. Peanut butter and jelly on wheat. Simple enough. I like it. We've had a lot of peanut butter and jelly on this podcast. <laughs> There's something about PB&J and baseball. I think they just kind of go together pretty well. Yeah, simple stuff, I guess, right? That's right. What's So quickly, I always ask the follow-up. Do you have a, a ratio of peanut butter to jelly? Uh, no, just whatever hits the, whatever hits the bread. We're good. Whatever feels right. Okay. Grape jelly or strawberry jelly. Do you have a preference there? Grape. Grape. Yeah. Yep. Traditional classic. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm with you. A, per a perfect answer. In my opinion, I'm a PBJ is, is, is my go-to as well. I, I've never had a PBJ to let me down. That's for sure. <laughs> well, we've got a lot to look forward to with this Oregon team and the program really. Um, to come this year and into the future. So uh, we, we might all have been underestimating the Ducks a year ago, but we will not be making that mistake this year, that's for sure, Coach. So we're, we're looking forward to seeing what the Ducks have uh, in 2022 on the field there at PK Park. Appreciate the interest and, and thanks for all your work you guys do for college baseball. It's really awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us here today. Thanks a bunch, guys. Go Ducks. Thank you again to Oregon coach Mark Wasikowski for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, I uh, I really liked how much he talked about player development, which was such a 
critical part of the the story for the Ducks last year. So I'm not surprised he was really, really hitting on it. I mean, you look at Gabe Matthews, who was one of the best hitters in the Pac-12 last year, what he was able you know, to develop into, we talked about it with Yovan and, you know, even Aaron Zavala, um, you know, all American second round pick the, just the development that, that he was able to, to, to do within the last couple of years there, very impressive. And, and it's true from a pitching side as well. Um, You know, I don't know how much people expected a rotation of Robert Alstrom, Cullen Kafka, and Brett Walker to, to have the season that they did. But I mean, they were, you know, preseason, those, those guys were not thought of the way they, they performed. And so yeah, just a, a really impressive job with the the player development piece there in Eugene. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I mean, I think it's clear, it's clear as day that this is what coach Wozniakowski is at least from what we've seen so far is best at because it, I mean this is the same deal that he did at Purdue right I mean he took over a, a Purdue program that was really really down I had a had a year where they went two and 22 in the Big Ten and won something like six or eight games overall something like that and and you know that was the 2016 season he takes over for the 2017 season they're immediately back in the Big Ten tournament which might not sound like much but remember that the Big Ten takes eight teams in a 13 team league so they went from last and clearly last to being in the top eight pretty respectable jump and then in 2018 they were second in the big 10 and were a two seed in the regional and with with largely the same roster of players it wasn't it wasn't that he went out and brought in this is before you could recruit a bunch of you know four-year transfers like you could do that now theoretically but he didn't go and take a bunch of juco guys or have a bunch of freshmen who happened to to, to be good all at the same time it was guys that were held over. It was Jackson McGowan. It was Nick D'Alessandro. It was Tanner Andrews on the mound. He really got the best out of those guys. Um, and that's, you know, what he was able to kind of parlay into getting the, in addition to having had history at the program, but, but he parlayed that into becoming the coach of Oregon and he did the same thing. I mean, it was a program that had been down for a while and in 2020, it looked like maybe it was going to be like a Purdue 2017 season. It was early, but you know, I saw them early in the 2020 season and it, it looked like a team that was, you know, Kenny Novan was hitting the ball and they had some nice pieces, but he thought was maybe just a little bit short. And then lo and behold, on basically the same timeline as when he took over at Purdue, Oregon arrived in 2021. And so um, just an amazing, you know, player development and team turnaround at two different places now for Coach Waz. And of course, now the challenge is, is something a little bit different and something we've not seen him do, which is not the same as saying that he can't or that we don't think he will. But this is a new challenge they're now facing as, as they go into 2022, something that he's not had to do in the two programs he's led. Yeah. He left Purdue after just a few seasons. So the, you know, extended program building kind of thing just wasn't, wasn't a thing that he had to, to end up working on, but you know, he, he's a very accomplished recruiter as a, as an assistant coach as well. And I, I think that staff that he has there of, of, Jack Martyr and, and Jake Angier is, is a really solid one. And we've seen before that Oregon can recruit, like you can really recruit to Oregon. Now this was kind of a long time ago at this point, but a decade ago when that program was really running, um, you know, this is a, a team that, that had three top 10 recruiting classes in four years from 2010 to 2013. And, you know, the, it, it, it can be done there. There is something to recruit to. BK Park is is really nice. It's a it's a great college town, and 
you know, you have some high profile athletics, the, the brand is pretty strong. So I, it, it can be done. Um, it's not the easiest thing to do, obviously, but I, I think that there is something that, that can be built there and, and a lot to be said for, you know, the, the kind of talent they can bring in. So if you start bringing in some more of the high end talent and still developing it, you know, I mean, that that's really when you start to see programs really take off and seasons like last season become much more of the, ex, uh, of the expectation rather than the outlier or the surprise. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I, this year though, they, uh, they are going to have, as, as we talked kind of at length there, there are just going to be so many new faces, either in new roles, having to step up, you know, like an Anthony Hall or, or a Tanner Smith stepping into bigger roles or, you know, just new players outright coming in and, and taking on some of these, these roles. So I'll, I'll be interested to see as the, as the season progresses, how Oregon does in terms of incorporating some of those players and, and bringing them along and, and how some of these other, you know, who is going to take a, a step forward, like a Zavala. Now, does that mean hitting like 400 and becoming the a, a top 60 pick in the draft? Like, I mean, that's, that's aggressive, but if you get that kind of development from some, some of your players, I mean, that's, uh, th- that's how you kind of, maintain this level of, of excellence. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, you know, and it's worth noting, that's a, something that we don't often consider is that you look at his history at Purdue and it should be noted that the way they were recruiting when, when he left and when his staff left at Purdue, the, the way they were recruiting suggested they were rebuilding because they were recruiting really, really well. And it hasn't necessarily kept up to that. Once he, he left Purdue, that class kind of started to for draft and other reasons started to kind of fall apart. But you know, they were doing the work, but the thing is that, you know, it's easy to kind of make an assumption that said, well, he took somebody else's players and he got the most out of them. And that's definitely a skill and that should be celebrated. But I know sometimes I fall into the trap of, of not really realizing that, well, that's not to say he can't also do that with this next group of players. And that's what we're going to see this next year is maybe a lot of guys who didn't really have roles on a pretty veteran 2021 team that become stars in, in 2022. And, and I think there's a, a pretty good chance the offense is pretty good, you know, as he was going through it. And as I was looking at it, like there's some nice pieces here. You're right that it's aggressive to hope that one of them becomes Aaron Zavala, but Tanner Smith had a nice year. Josh Kasevich had a really nice year. Anthony Hall did some nice things. Those are all guys he mentioned, you know, in the, they did some stuff in the transfer portal. Um, you know, Brendan Malone is kind of an interesting piece that we've talked about on a the couple of transfer podcasts we had. So I think the offense has a, has a shot to be pretty good to at least be solid. The pitching is, is where it's much more of a question mark. And there are some names there to talk about, but you notice he, he mentioned bullpen guys. And that doesn't mean there necessarily won't be some conversion going on to move some guys to the rotation, but but he was pretty focused on the bullpen side of it. And, you know, I think the rotation is going to be a question. And we, we've talked about Adam Meyer, the transfer from British Columbia. And, okay, that's one piece, but they're going to need going to need some others. And so that, well, I, I mean, think that's ultimately going to be the key to, to what we look at in 2022. He almost has to be focused on talking about them as 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 relievers because the three guys they lost, Alstrom, Kafka, and Walker, um, sucked up 44 starts last year. So you know the the way that a lot of these guys are looked at, and they played 55 games, so 11 starts went to other pitchers, and you know so it it, it all it feels like there has to be some conversion here, unless it's going to be three 
completely new players to the the program. Now, is that an Andrew Mosiello who went out and uh, you know tried to prove himself as a starter in the Cape Cod League over the summer? You know, we'll see. But uh, I, I do think that somebody is going to have to uh, kind of move from from the bullpen to the rotation, or they're just going to bullpen it all, all year long. Uh, and you know, if that's the if that's the approach they want to take, you know, if you have a really deep bullpen, you need less from your starters. So you know, we'll we'll see where it goes. But I, I would look for um, you know maybe it's Moziello, maybe it's somebody else to to move into the rotation and and probably be pretty solid at it because. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the development of the hitters and, you know, Mark Wazikowski has done a great job with that, but, you know, Jake Angier, uh, the way he's developed pitchers, both at Sacramento state and now at Oregon, I, I think has been rather impressive as well. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence, uh, you know, that the Sacramento state connection there, it's, it's also worth noting that one of his assistants at Purdue, Steve Holm, now the head coach at Illinois State, who's had success there, like also was a Sacramento State guy. So uh, I know we've had Reggie Christensen on this podcast. You and I both think highly of the work that that he does there. That doesn't seem like any sort of coincidence that Coach Waz would would uh, continue to to go to the Sacramento State well for for bringing guys into into his staff. But but um, yes, some stuff to like on the mound. It, it does feel like that is where a lot of the that is the key, I think, to how good this team ends up being. So I think the offense looks like it should be pretty solid. What they get on the mound is is more of the question. And, you know, I think it'll have a lot to do with what if what we're looking at, what we will be looking at in 2022 is an Oregon team that's challenging for the postseason or if an Oregon team that takes a little step back and, and reloads for 2023 and beyond. Well, when you look at the Pac-12, that, you know, that that's going to play a big role in, in how how all of this comes together, you know, you, you look at the Pac-12 a little more broadly, Arizona won the Pac-12. They finished a game ahead of Oregon last year. Stanford was in the mix uh, almost until the end there. And they, of course, joined Arizona in the College World Series. Right now, we believe Stanford to be the favorite uh, in the league, although Stanford has some questions to address on the mound itself, particularly after losing Brendan Beck. Uh, but you you look at the Pac-12, and right now it's a little bit in a you know they're they're, they're going the, the conference as a whole is going through a, a shift. You know they're, they're, there's just a lot of a lot of things that changed over the summer, a lot of talent that left either in terms of the draft or also in in the coaching change business. So you know you've got. Arizona with a new head coach. You've got Arizona State with a new head coach. Both Chip Hale at Arizona and Willie Bloomquist at Arizona State coming from pro ball with no college head coaching experience. So what is that going to look like next year? Um, you know, you've, you've got teams like Washington, which is coming off of a very disappointing season. They went 6-21 and 21 in conference play last year. They brought in a lot of junior college transfers. They brought in a good recruiting class overall, but a lot of it was junior college transfers. Like they're clearly looking to to fix that in a hurry. Uh, you know, Cal was on the edge of the postseason discussion last year. Um, can they maybe take a step forward this year? What is Oregon State doing? You know, we, we've talked a lot about how much I like Oregon State going into next year. Are they going to live up to some of these expectations? So this is a conference, uh, and, and UCLA lost a ton of talent in the draft, obviously, but brings in the number one recruiting class in the country. How quickly do things click in Westwood? I mean, th- there are just a lot of questions around the conference, not a whole lot settled, 
And, you know, maybe that's a good thing for a team like Oregon. I mean, I think it is absolutely. Cause I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. It feels for all the world to me, like the type of season that we're heading towards the type of season of the PAC 12, where we've got a couple of teams we end up banking on and maybe that's Stanford and Oregon state. I think those are the two teams we feel, um, well, maybe, maybe we do, maybe we don't. I kind of, I guess it depends on how we value the new coaches at Arizona and Arizona state, but I think it kind of plays to the point I'm making, which is that I think the couple of teams will emerge that we feel pretty good about as the season rolls on, but it does feel for all the world, like the season where maybe teams three and four that end up being in the postseason race in the PAC 12 are teams where we go into the season with a really wide range of, of outcomes possible for those teams. And they end up hitting the ceiling, whether that's a year where, you know, Hey, USC actually has figured it out now. I mean, we, there are some positive strides being made there in terms of the recruiting and, the team's just been a lot more solid the last couple of years. Like, you know, maybe the most optimistic version of USC shows up in 2022 and finishes third in the Pac-12. That sounds crazy, but A, sometimes finishing third doesn't mean you go 19 and 11 in the Pac-12. Sometimes it means you go 17 and 13 and be a tie with the team. That's A. And B, you, you just went through it. There's, I think, a lot of uncertainty in this league, and I, I, don't, I don't know that that necessarily means that you know, I, I think teams three through seven or three through eight or three through nine or what, what have you can be really bunched up in this league. And so I think that creates an opportunity where the difference between those teams is small enough that it ends up being some teams that, that we don't necessarily expect end up competing at a, at a higher level than we anticipate. And so it does open up a door for a team like Oregon to end up being a little better than we anticipate on the mound. Maybe they, they reload in a way that is better than, than what we expect. And in voila, they're right there competing for the postseason, because this does seem to me like a league that has very little certainty going into 2022. And, and I think that even at the top, we like Stanford, but you mentioned it, they have some questions too. And that's a team that not far removed from, you know, having had a lot of growing pains and they still have a lot of growth to do on the mound. And we'll have to see how that, how that turns out. Um, it should make for a fun Pac-12. Um, but as we know, in the narrative business, uh, fun Pac-12 does not necessarily mean the best version of the Pac-12 or a version of the Pac-12 that does a particularly good job of putting teams in the postseason. I mean, that's a story that we've read time and time again. Yeah, we have, we're pretty confident in Stanford as the, like, if you look at the rankings right now, the, the off-season rankings, like, you would see that we kind of have put Stanford out there pretty clearly. But, I mean, there's, I, I love the talent there. But there, there's definitely a version where Stanford ends up playing much closer to the pack than that ranking would indicate. There, there is a broad range of outcomes for, I think, all 11 teams in the conference. And, yeah, I'll just be fascinated to see who trends more towards the, the upper end of that spectrum uh, and, and who doesn't. And, and I would feel good, generally, to bring this back to the Ducks, about the Ducks hitting the upper end of their spectrum, because that is kind of what Mark Wasikowski teams, you know, he hasn't been a head coach too terribly long, but that does seem to be much more along the lines of what his teams do than, than hitting the lower end of their, their possibilities. Uh, you know, it's happened multiple times now that they've outperformed expectations. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see kind of a similar upswing from, from the ducks this year. If, if you're looking around and saying, well, how do you replace X, Y, and Z on this team? Like, okay, you can doubt them, but I, I think that there there's reason to believe that they will find the answers. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's not a lot you can glean. He, he was at Purdue one year after, the 2018 team was a two seed in regional. And, and there was a step back. 
and there, there was a step back. And that's, that's part of what I say is like, that's, that's the only kind of hint we might have at that, but doing that at Purdue, which is like historically an under-supported, underfunded um, program that hasn't had a ton of success. Let's just call a spade a spade. That went a hundred years between big 10 titles, right. literally a hundred. So there's a difference between that and Oregon, obviously. So it's really hard to glean too much from what we know already. Um, but I, but I think you're right. I mean, I think we, we can be feel pretty confident in the floor of Oregon and this, might, this might be the kind of year where instead of looking at ceilings in the PAC 12, we look at the floor trying to figure out what the pecking order is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's uh, that that's quite possibly how, how it shakes out, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have to see it. Like you said, it's going to be a very interesting uh, race to watch. And I, I think there is a, there's a lot of fluidity to everything that's happening out there this year. And, and so maybe it's a, an excellent year to have a Pac-12 tournament because, you know, maybe there will be, you know, maybe there'll be room for some big upsets there on, on the final weekend, which might not be loved by the teams in the tournament. But but for everyone that's looking for an entertaining product, and that does seem to be a big part of the point of creating the Pac-12 tournament was to create an entertaining product. Uh, you know, maybe maybe 2022 can start the event off with, uh, you know, with the, you know, some some big headline making news. I mean, the, uh, the that was an interesting. First of all, it was an interesting conversation that we had about the Pac-12 tournament with him, because he he said something that you and I had kind of batted back and forth a little bit. And, you know, only the committee really knows. And we probably would not get I don't want to say an honest answer, but I, I just think it's one of those things that maybe they don't realize is happening in the moment, but there is maybe something, at least there's a perception out there that having, not having a tournament takes you kind of out of the consciousness late in the season. Um, that's kind of what, what he was suggesting. So that, that, that is interesting. I don't know that that really matters. I mean, it maybe matters in the margins. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, but we will, we will see to the extent we can, because there's really no way to get a definitive answer one way or the other, but I am excited for it to be a thing. Um, I don't, you know, as long as, uh, you are probably planning to go to Hoover again next year. I'm just going to go ahead and put in my start looking for uh, hotels and flights for Arizona. Cause I think I am uh, inclined to go check out the Pac-12 tournament in the first year and, and see what, see what all that's about. Cause I think it's going to be a, I think it'll be a fun event. It'll just be interesting to see those teams in that scenario because we've never, we just never seen that before. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen Clemson play NC state in pool play before. Oh, know, Lord, I, have we ever. <laughs> We've we've seen that we've seen TCU fighting with with Baylor in an elimination game on, on a Friday afternoon in Oklahoma City before we, we, we've seen, uh, you know, Ohio State charging through the Big Ten tournament uh, under Greg Beals to to make the NCAA. We, we've seen these things happen before. I've never seen Oregon playing Cal in a winner's bracket game or. Oregon State taking on Arizona in in a losers bracket game. Like, how does Mitch Canham approach the Pac-12 tournament? I got no idea. We got no idea about any of this. So yeah. I do I do think that's just going to be interesting from for a few years just to see how the how this event grows. Do they stay at the same number of teams? Do they stay? You know, do they try and expand a little bit? You know, how do they mess around with with you know some of the matchup situations? Like, I, I think there's a lot. Uh, to be done here, and and I am I am also very interested to see how how the first one goes off, but also how the next few go off. 
Yeah, agreed. So you know, it'll be 110 degrees, but you know, <laughs> I would uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see what it's all about. It's a dry heave. Indeed, it is. I, I'm sorry, did you hear dry heave? Because I think that's <laughs> that might also be true if you get caught out in the heat for too long. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's a personal issue, so I'll uh, I'll let you address that. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously a long way to go between here and the start of the Pac-12 tournament next May, but we'll uh, we'll be excited to see it. Excited to see where Oregon goes from here. A lot, um, a lot of interesting things happening there, both from a draft perspective. We didn't really get into that here, but you know, Mayer, um, Brent Malone, Tanner Smith, Austin Hall. I mean, th- these are these guys are are on draft radars. So you know where where how what kind of improvements they show. You know, like we saw with Zavala again, you know, driving him up the draft board. It'll be interesting to see that happen as well this year with uh, with this version of the Ducks. That's going to do it today for us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast uh, on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You get not only uh, us once a week talking college baseball throughout the postseason, oftentimes with uh, a guest from around the college baseball world like Mark Wazikowski, but because this is October and the MLB playoffs are ongoing, you also get uh, daily podcasts about the playoffs from your favorite Baseball America personalities. So you can check that out as well in the podcast feed if you are so inclined. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. We'll be back here again next week with another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. Till then, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to Mark Wazikowski for joining us. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.